Welcome back for part two of this week's episode of Third Down Gamble, the CFL betting podcast. I'm your host, Kyle McMahon, and over the next few minutes, we'll be getting you all set for the Labor Day Monday matchups in the CFL with previews of the Argos, Ticats, and Stamps, Elks. Let's start out east, where Hamilton will be the final team in the CFL to play their home opener hosting the division-leading Toronto Argonauts, who are coming off an unscheduled bye week after their game last week was cancelled. The line for this one is pretty much held firm at Hamilton minus 2, with the total now 45 after seeing a little bit of over money come in during the week. On the injury front, Toronto looks like they'll be down a pair of offensive linemen with Philip Blake and Darius Bladdock both in COVID protocol as of Saturday, Along with receiver Ricky Collins, another lineman, Jamal Campbell, was limited earlier in the week, but was back to a full participant by the weekend, while receiver Eric Rogers was limited on Saturday. For Hamilton, Jagera Davis should be back into the lineup after missing last game. Mike Daly could possibly return to the safety position, and defensive linemen Dylan Wynn and Ted Laurent have been back at practice, so they could be back in action as well. Jeremiah Masoli has still been limited. Dane Evans is the confirmed starter. I don't think there was too much doubt about that, regardless of Masoli's injury status. But uh, also defensive backs Jamal Rule and Siante Evans have been limited in practice throughout the week. Overall, doesn't look like either team is going to be at full strength, but both of these clubs have been dealing with the injury bug since training camp, so not exactly an unfamiliar situation for them. Hamilton finally got things going on the scoreboard last week in Montreal, recording their first win of the season, but as I touched on in part one of the podcast, this wasn't exactly the doing of the offense, which continued to struggle for the most part in the passing game, which turned in a rather poor 35% success rate. They did manage three explosives, those are pass plays which go for 20 plus yards, and they didn't turn the ball over, but these are still not the numbers you would expect from the winning side of most football games. This Argonauts secondary, much maligned for the past two seasons, has seen some pretty substantial improvement throughout three games thus far. Jamal Peters, a rookie who spent a little bit of time in the Indianapolis Colts organization, has looked like a solid find. And Shaq Richardson, who returned to the team late in 2019 after an NFL attempt, has helped stabilize things back there. We have seen a general lack of interceptions so far this year across the league, but the Argos have recorded three of them in three games, and this is no longer a defense that's giving up big chunks of yardage on uh, any accurately thrown ball as we saw in the past. A big part of Hamilton's struggles through the air so far has been pass protection from their O-line, and and this is where it gets a little interesting. The, The Argonauts haven't been particularly aggressive in the pass rush so far, so I'll be curious to see if they try to dial up the heat a little bit against a unit that has already been stung for 13 sacks against in just three games. Where Hamilton did get things turned around on offense last week was in the run game. I will go out on a limb and assume Sean Thomas Erlington gets the start here again, and while his big highlight reel run last week did come in garbage time, he had a good methodical game leading up to that point and will look to do the same here. Toronto's run-stopping ability is still a bit of an unknown commodity. They didn't look great against Kadeem Carey at the start of the year, but they looked pretty good stopping Brady Oliveira in the two games against the Bombers. Hamilton hasn't been shy about trying to establish the run, and I'd, I'd expect to see a decent volume of carries early on in the game, but they do tend to put the run game on the shelf if they fall behind. I think coaches in the CFL 
for quite a number of years have been a little too quick to panic and abandon the run if they fall behind by more than a touchdown. I mean, with the 20-second play clock, it's not at all unusual to put together an 8- or 10-play drive that only eats up four minutes of game time. So if you were to ask my opinion on the matter, you know, unless you're down by three touchdowns or something huge like that, there's there's really no reason to significantly adjust your game plan on on first down prior to the fourth quarter. But it is something we've seen happen regularly over the years. I, I think Hamilton trying to force the pass against this defense would be a mistake. And if they want to improve their fortunes through the air, Dane Evans is going to have to settle for taking what the defense is giving a little more often than him or Masoli have so far. As far as the Hamilton defense, can these guys stop Nick Arbuckle? This Toronto offense has looked pretty smooth for about five quarters under under Arbuckle's leadership now. That did all come against the same defense, but I'd expect more man coverage from Hamilton than he saw out of the Bombers and this is an area where Hamilton has quietly been pretty solid so far. The Ticats have not been very good up near the line, uh, either in terms of stuffing the run or getting to the quarterback. Um, and that's that's set up a lot of difficult second and short and second and medium situations. But in, in spite of that, their second down pass defense has been excellent, holding opponents to just a 36% success rate. Cody Fajardo back in week two is really the only quarterback that was able to capitalize through the air against them so far. Watch for Siante Evans' status when the game day roster is released because he would be a big loss in the secondary if he can't go. And this is a guy with excellent closing ability who tends to read plays very well. Not fun for opposing quarterbacks to throw against. For the first time in a while, though, the Argonauts also appear to have a run game that they're willing to use. This served them very well last time out as they lit up Winnipeg along the ground, which is no easy task. And you've got to think going up against what appears to be a somewhat weaker defensive front will encourage them to feed John White and DJ Foster the ball, the latter of whom averaged a ridiculous 10 yards per carry in his CFL debut two weeks ago. Hamilton has tended to defend the edge decently so far. A lot of gains against them have been between the hash marks, and we'll see what approach Toronto goes with here as Foster looks like a guy who can turn the corner, and, and while White, he's, you know, he's more of a north-south back, but... I do believe this tandem can find success on Monday. Being down two offensive linemen, and you know, unless those guys are able to get out of COVID protocol in time to play, uh, that's definitely a concern. But it's worth pointing out that they were missing Philip Blake against the Bombers as well, and they were still able to exploit that Winnipeg pass rush with their run game. At Hamilton minus two, we haven't seen much movement at all, and that tells us that the market is largely in agreement with this number. From a metric standpoint and going by the eyeball test, Toronto has undoubtedly looked like the better team, but this will be the first time the Ticats get to play at home and those first two games of the season coming on the road against what appears to be the top two teams in the CFL right now is going to skew perceptions a little bit. One unexpected advantage, or at least I think it will be an advantage, is, is Toronto getting that week off leading into this game. This coaching staff, which is, has looked pretty competent in, in early viewings to me, uh, they'll, they'll have a good 10 or 11 days worth of prep time under their belts coming into this one, and including getting a full game worth of film on the Ticats offense operating under Evans. With stadium capacity still restricted in Ontario and the fact that Hamilton is just a bus ride down the road, this isn't exactly a, a, what I call a true road game. You know, we talked about past history in the Riders-Bombers Labor Day clash. We probably need to take a look at it here as well. Hamilton is riding a six-game winning streak in this game. They will show up here, but in this particular instance, 
the crowd just isn't going to have the same effect as it normally might. So I feel home field advantage has to be downgraded somewhat. I think this is, is a pretty tight line here. If, if there's an X factor to be found, Frankie Williams in that return game for Hamilton is probably it. Toronto kicker Boris Beattie can hit from 60 yards, but accuracy has always been a problem for him. And if I were in charge of Argo's special teams, I would not be attempting any field goals long enough to set up a return on a miss. You know, at least not early on or if I'm playing with the lead. Argo's plus four was available very early on at select books. I, I think getting them on the good side of the key number of three was a decent play. But now that we see this line on the other side of three, I, I think we're kind of in a no man's land and I wouldn't be making a play either way on that number. The totals, this is another tough one. This is about exactly where I figured it would end up. And I think this is a case where you've got a couple of pass defenses that have been pretty stout for the most part. And it's going to come down to whether the run games are going to be successful enough to push these respective offenses over 20 points apiece. I trust the Toronto offense more than the Hamilton offense to move the ball here. But if they are able to build an early lead, uh, Toronto, that is, you know, Hamilton might start leaning too heavily on the pass, which would play right into the defense's hands. One thing I'll point out here, the offense is totally evaporating coming out of the halftime break has been a consistent trend across the league so far, which has led to all the low scoring games. But the first two quarters, for the most part, haven't really been anything out of the ordinary. For all their struggles on offense, the Ticats have scored a major pretty early on in all three of their games so far. Uh, so I think an overplay on either the first quarter or the first half total is something I'd be taking a good look at here. And personally, if Toronto plus four wasn't something you had available to you or you, you did and you missed out on it and you do need to get some action down on Monday, uh, this this totals uh, first half total area is the one spot on the betting board where I think there's still a decent play available. Westwards, we move to Calgary, where the Stampeders will play the traditional role of Labor Day host against their rivals from up the highway in Edmonton. The Elks, of course, coming into this one after having last week's game cancelled due to a COVID outbreak. Calgary opened as about five-point favorites. That number moved to six fairly quickly, where it remains, while the over comes in at about 43. Injuries, quite a bit of news here. Edmonton had about a dozen guys in COVID protocol over the last couple of weeks. It looks like just about everyone will be available, but Aaron Grimes and Keyshawn Berea are both out on defense, and there has been upheaval on the offensive line with the release of Jacob Ruby. Receivers Darrell Walker and Shea Ross will play in this game, but both were held out of practice until the weekend due to COVID issues. Kwaku Boteng, who missed the game against BC two weeks ago, he will be back in action on the D-line for this one. Calgary has brought Bo Levi Mitchell off the six-game injured list very early, and he's been a full participant in practice the last two the last two days as game day approaches. This comes as somewhat of a surprise. It's not uncommon to see a guy come off the six-game early, but a full month early doesn't happen very often. It appears as though Jake Mayer is going to get his third consecutive start, but I think there's a pretty good chance we see Bo Levi back on the field next Friday in the Labor Day rematch. The Stamps will be down a pair of offensive linemen with Ryan Sevior and Julian Good-Jones, both scratched with injury, but they do get Nila Casatati back into the fold. Third-year lineman had initially retired at the beginning of the season, but he was coaxed back into the fold about 10 days ago. 
Now, the big story here is obviously the condition of the Elks roster and their preparedness level after the team facility was closed for over a week. It was only in the middle of this week that they were even able to begin walkthroughs again, and given the restrictions placed on the players, uh, you know, enduring COVID lockdowns, you know, maintaining your fitness level right in the middle of the season was uh, possibly a challenge for a lot of these guys without access to the training facility. I don't imagine everyone sat around for 10 days eating Doritos and chugging beer like most of us would do under similar circumstances, but at a time of the year when these athletes are typically rounding into peak form, it's hard to imagine this roster hasn't been put behind the eight ball with everything that's gone on over the last two weeks. Seeing as they played the Thursday night game in the last week before they they got cancelled there, this will be 17 days between games with only two or maybe three full practices in that span. And I just don't think it's realistic to think this team is going to come out firing on all cylinders on Monday. We saw a resurgent offense and specifically a resurgent Trevor Harris and Greg Ellingson combo last time out. But I would still expect this game plan to have a strong focus on James Wilder, who's been running well so far and providing some good blocking in the backfield, particularly since timing affected by time off will be less of a factor for a run game than a pass game. You've also got to uh, you know, look at a new offensive line here, a new look offensive line, which is unfortunate since they looked so much better against BC than they did in their opening two games. Kyle Saxlid coming back in at the left tackle position was, was a big positive change for the Elks in that game, but he'll move over to the guard position in this one, vacated by Jacob Ruby, who was released for allegedly making dishonest claims about his health status. And newcomer DeAndre Wesley will take up that left tackle position. Wesley did spend some time bouncing around NFL rosters, so this isn't an inexperienced player by any means. But nonetheless, he's new to Canadian football and possible weakness at the blindside tackle position has the ability to sink an offense quickly. Overall, the Calgary defensive line hasn't been getting a great push on first down. So there should be some holes opened up for Wilder out of the backfield, but the defense overall has done a pretty good job of limiting any damage along the ground at the second level with opponent explosive run percentage at just over 8% in their last two games. And those did come against William Stanback and Andrew Harris, two of the best in the business. The Stampeders' pass defense has been fairly average across the board so far, but they are coming off a pretty solid outing against the Bombers. Uh, they've been vulnerable to giving up those 10 to 15-yard chunk plays, and this is where we saw uh, Harris and Ellingson really burn the Lions. Uh, and, you know, going back further, this was typically an area of strength for Trevor Harris' offenses in the past. Uh, it's pretty clear that Darrell Walker was probably one of the players most affected by COVID, seeing as he only just got out of protocol in the, the nick of time to be placed on the game roster for Monday. So how much gas he has in the tank for this game, that's a big question mark for me. On the other side of the ball, Calgary's offense hasn't really been hampered yet by the Mitchell injury. His Jake Mayer has come in and looked better than I suspect most of us predicted so early in his pro career. He made several good throws under pressure against the Bombers last week, and he'll need to do more of the same to move the ball against an Edmonton defense that does a good job of getting after the quarterback. And having Kwaku Botang back at the rush edge position should be a further boost to that D-line. But what we can expect behind them is a bit of a question mark right now. You'll remember I came into this season with fairly low expectations of the Elks coverage unit. They've shown better than I anticipated, and part of that has been a rejuvenated Aram Grimes at the defensive halfback spot. 
And unfortunately, he's one of the players still in COVID protocol, and he won't be available for this game. Calgary's receiving core has taken a step forward these last two games. Fumble aside, Josh Huff has been playing very well. And after two years off the football field recovering from injury, Kamar Jordan has looked pretty solid, even if he's not quite the same explosive threat that he was pre-injury. I think the key for this Stampeders offense in the passing game is going to be the depth that they have right now at the receiver position. And and I think they, they have the ability to overwhelm Edmonton in the middle. Jonathan Mincy and Jonathan Rose have done a nice job so far locking down the corner positions, but with Grimes out, I can foresee a situation where Jordan and uh, another veteran in the slot back position, Markeith Ambles, are, are able to make some hay against some unheralded personnel on the inside. Rookie Darius Williams is going to slide into Grimes' spot, uh, and, you know, and he'll have his work cut out for him, taking on one of these, these veteran guys in coverage. Kadeem Carey has been consistently solid in establishing the Stampeders' ground attack. Stamps overall are hitting at a very solid 56% success rate in all situations run plays. They've done a very good job of limiting second and long situations. That makes the job a little easier for their rookie quarterback. And the Elks' ability to stuff the run, it's just a bit of an unknown right now. Uh, they had no problems containing Ottawa and BC along the ground, but you know those two teams have been largely ineffective running the ball regardless of the opponent. Whereas William Stanback did beat up this unit pretty good in Week 2, so I, I think we're still in a, a wait-and-see mode as far as the Elks' run defense is concerned. But there seems to be little doubt that Calgary will test them as the Stamps continue to be one of the most run-happy teams in the league, keeping the ball on the ground on 47% of situation-neutral first-down snaps through four games. So when it comes to the minus six... I will say I'm a little bit surprised we haven't seen this push to at least a full touchdown yet. The Stampeders do come into this game at just 1-3 and three on the season, but this is a team that did have fourth quarter leads pretty late into a couple of those losses, and they were one missed field goal away from leaving Winnipeg with a victory last week with a, a raw rookie quarterback in his first ever road start. Um you know, I, I do feel this team has taken a step back from previous years where 12 and 13 win seasons were the norm. Um, but it's been a common trend for Calgary to start off seasons a little sluggish anyway, uh, you know, only to kick things into gear starting on Labor Day. And that's a game that they have absolutely owned in the John Huffnagel era, winning the last eight in a row and 12 out of the last 14. Edmonton has been a very solid statistically this year in spite of the one and two start. That's probably some of the reason this this line hasn't pushed out any further than it has you know and, and typically variance between expected results based on the metrics and the actual on-field results will begin to correct themselves but I'm, I'm not confident that this is a good spot for that to happen you know losing more than a week of practice and training time at this point in the season just when teams are you know typically starting to hit their stride uh, that's going to be a lot to overcome and you know that's going to be compounded by going up against a veteran coaching staff and you know a team that at one and three is realistically probably more desperate for a win here and, and willing to pull out all the stops mark Killam, that's the stamps longtime special teams coordinator he's consistently come up with schemes that kill edmonton in the return game year after year and he's had a week here to draw things up while you know his adversary is already on their second special teams coordinator four games into the season. And you know, a unit that hasn't been able to practice for the better part of two weeks. 
I, I think Edmonton still looks str strong in enough areas that they'll be able to stay in touch here as, as long as Trevor Harris doesn't turn the football over. But there's just too many underlying factors that favor the Stampeders in this game. And the, the differences in starting field position brought out brought about by a return game that projects to be very one-sided in Calgary's favor could very well be what turns this into a two-score game for the home side. And so, so long as this line remains inside of a touchdown, I, I think there's some real value to be found here on the Stampeders. I think the total is a bit of a shot in the dark here. How the Edmonton offense is going to look with a rejigged line that hasn't had any time to practice, you know, and personnel that are, are skilled but haven't really come close to maximizing that potential so far is just too much of an unknown for me to make a play either way on the total. If you listen to part one of this podcast, you know that over 43 in the Bombers-Riders game was the best bet for this week. That number remains available as game time approaches, but if you're looking for a little extra sauce this weekend, seeing as it is Labor Day, I'll do a double dip and call out that Stampeders minus six as a best bet for Monday. And hopefully by that time, we're all playing with host money after the Riders and Bombers blow up the scoreboard and cash that over 43 for us. Thanks again to everyone for tuning in for another week. If you ever want to get in touch with the show, firing off an email to cflbettingpodcast at gmail.com is the best way to do so. All your comments and words of encouragement are appreciated. The status of next week's show is a little up in the air right now with games not concluding until Monday evening. That's a pretty short turnaround to handicap everything and produce another episode. But three of the four games will be rematches, which does help somewhat. So we'll uh, we'll we'll wait and see. I guess we're I guess we're questionable for uh, for next week's podcast. But anyway, uh, enjoy the the Labor Day classics that uh, we have about about ready to kick off here on Sunday and Monday. And we will talk again soon.